the Blaze Radio Network. On Demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater's America's greatest country in the world. Thanks for being here. Third hour. There already. All right, it's game time. So there's a handful of segments that we do every year. It's a bit of a tradition. This is our Earth Day segment. Happy Earth Day to you. It's very exciting. So the argument here is very simple. I'm going to lay it out as emotionless as possible. I'd love to hear from you if you disagree. Uh, but why you disagree? And, and the, the reason has to be more than, well, this is what I've always done. That's not, that's not an argument. Now, I want to let you know how I'm going to do this. I think it's incredibly effective to go back to the beginnings of a thing we do. Right? Because we may be doing something that we've always done our whole lives, never ever once, not one time ever questioning if it's a good thing. We were just told it was a good thing. So we just keep doing it. But if you go back to the very beginning of it, you may uh, start to question if it's actually good. So that's what I want to do here. So here's the argument. The argument is that recycling is a giant waste of time, money, energy, and you shouldn't do it anymore. So stop it. Stop recycling. I mean, literally, like, get, get rid of the blue bin in your house. Throw it away. And when you're at a, out at like a McDonald's or whatever, and you're done eating, and you have a plastic bottle in your hand, and you have wrappers uh, in the other hand, don't go through this mental game where you're sorting the trash and then which, which trash goes in what bin and then the plastic goes in and up, put it all in the trash. Put it in the trash. Better yet at home, take the blue bin and put it in the black one and just throw that away. Next time the trash comes, throw away your blue bin and just have two trash bins. Throw everything away. Now, if you recycle because you think it helps the planet, definitely have to stop because you're making it worse. You're making things worse. You're making the planet worse. You're hurting the planet. Stop recycling. That's my argument. So why do we recycle? It all started on May 22nd, 1987. Let's go in the way back machine. The Mobro 4000. The Mobro 4000. I'm not kidding. The Mobro 4000 was a giant barge 
this barge was full of garbage from Long Island. Now, normally this garbage would have just been put in a landfill. But this garbage was put on this barge because it was going to be sent to North Carolina for a pilot program to turn the garbage into methane. Let me just stop here one, one real quick. This happened March 22nd, 1987. March 21st, 1987, there was no recycling. There's another weird thing that goes on in our world where we think that we're doing something now and that it's just been this way forever. No. When I was born, there was no recycling. This is a pretty new thing that we're doing, right? All right, so barge or garbage on a barge going to North Carolina, pilot program to turn the garbage into methane. When it got to the port in North Carolina, the people of North Carolina said, eh, we don't want to do that pilot program anymore. And the barge said, well, take the trash. And North Carolina's like, well, we don't want your trash. Go away. So the barge then went to New Orleans and said, will you take the trash? And they're like, no, we don't want your trash. So then they went to Mexico and Mexico said, no, we don't want your, I don't know, how to, basura. And then the barge went to Belize. And Belize obviously didn't want the trash either. So the barge went back to New York City and then New York City didn't want it anymore. That's when it gained some media attention. No one wants the garbage. So environmentalists jumped on it. And they created this perception that we are out of landfill space. We're out of, look, look, there's nowhere to put it. No, it's not that there was nowhere to put it. It's that no one wanted it. But they ran with it. Nowhere to put it. We're out of landfill space. And because we're out of landfill space, got to come up with something else. That's the beginning of recycling. And everyone was overjoyed. Politicians loved it. PR consultants loved it. Environmentalist groups loved it. A bunch of new recycling corporations basked in the movement. Whoever manufactures blue bins were like, oh, this is awesome. And Americans everywhere patted themselves on the back for being so eco-friendly. And no one stopped to think that this is incredibly stupid and a huge waste of time and money. And is there a shortage of landfill space? No, there's no shortage of landfill space at all. If we keep generating garbage at our current rate for the next thousand years, we could put all of that garbage in one landfill a hundred yards deep, 35 miles long on each side. Now that's a lot. That's a that's big. It's a big hole, but I'm talking all the garbage we have and a thousand years of garbage. So until 3017, a thousand years, they're saying, well, that's, that's huge. 35 miles on each side. A thousand years, a long time. But still, that landfill will be one-tenth of one percent. So it'd be 0.1% of all the land that is currently used for grazing cattle. So 0.1% of all the land that we use for grazing cattle, we can dig a big deep hole and put all the garbage in it for the next thousand years. We're not running out of landfill space. So the single premise, the beginning premise for recycling is not true. So now they came up with all these new reasons to recycle, right? The classic one is uh, we're running out of raw materials. No, we're not. We're not. There's more forests for timber than we've had in the last over 100 years. We're not running out of wood. So why are people so worried about recycling paper? We're not running out of plastics. It just comes from oil. 
it takes more energy to recycle paper and plastics than it does to make new paper and plastics. It takes more energy from coal power plants to recycle these things than it does to just make new of these things. So if you think you're saving the planet, why would you advocate for recycling, which just requires more energy, therefore more pollution? And of course, it costs more too. But we're not running out of raw materials. We have more raw materials now than ever. So the Simon Urlich wager, I'll do this. Uh, I'll save this. I'll save that. Remind me to do that. The Simon Urlich wager. The point is we're not running out of raw materials. Let me, let me emphasize instead the point that recycling is not a carbon neutral activity. Just because you, you, people think recycling is good or think it's green, that doesn't mean that it doesn't require a ton of energy. For every ton of recycled paper, it requires 5,000 gallons of water. What a waste. And then, of course, the electricity used to run the recycling plants and the gasoline used on the recycling trucks that go around following the garbage trucks when you can just put everything in the garbage truck and cut that in half. Just throw the bottle in the landfill. All but later, landfills are evil. Remember, so it started off with landfills are full and there's no more space. And now it's, well, they're just bad. Have you ever been to San Diego? Have you ever visited San Diego? So one of the, the tourist attractions here in San Diego is SeaWorld. I used to live half a mile from SeaWorld. SeaWorld is built on top of a landfill. It's right by the ocean. SeaWorld, the current SeaWorld, is built on top of a former landfill. Now, that landfill wasn't just your regular landfill. It, it, you know, it was too, but it also had a ton of toxic chemicals from the military and the aerospace industry here in San Diego. That's where they sent their waste to this landfill, and they put SeaWorld on top of it. I've been to SeaWorld a million times. It, it, you would never know. No one knows. No one's like, hmm, seems like a former garbage dump here. No, no, no one says that. Balboa Park, which is our big like central park in San Diego, the whole northeast corner of it, there's a golf course there now. That's a former garbage dump. Miramar, our, uh, it's our marine air base in San Diego, one of them. Uh, that's a former garbage dump. No one in San Diego knows this. And that's the point. I don't know why people are so scared of dumps. Most dumps are just covered up and there's parks on top of them or buildings and houses and neighborhoods or sea world. So we're not running out of landfill space. We're not running out of resources. I'll prove that next. We're not saving money by recycling. It's incredibly expensive. So why do we keep doing it? There's no reason you shouldn't actually. The only reason we really keep doing it now is because every single reason that you should recycle has been debunked. The only reason we do it now, and this is from the guy, the EPA guy, I forget his name off the top of my head, the EPA guy who started this whole recycling thing in 1987 and some of the top advocates of recycling today, they were asked why we recycle today. I'm not even kidding. The reason they say now is because it feels good. That's truly the only reason why people still recycle today is it feels good. Be smart, be prudent, be a good steward of the planet. But that doesn't mean we have to do foolish, mindless, wasteful things. Now, I'm not going to die on this hill. Not a huge deal. I only make this argument once a year on Earth Day. 
But I do think it is a good conservative principle and a good principle of life to question why you do everything you do and I, why I do everything I do every single day. Why am I doing it like this? And to reevaluate. And if something doesn't make sense anymore, don't do it. And that's true with recycling. Just don't do it. Get rid of it. Stop. We had a, uh, a Bible study at my group. This is a pretty funny story, actually. We had a Bible study at my group a couple months ago. And someone in the Bible group invited just a stranger that they met in a park to come to my house and for the Bible group, right? And they're like, oh, come to my friend's Mike, Mike's house. So it turns out this guy actually listens to my show, right? So he didn't know until he got here. He's like, wait, Mike Slater? So he had a soda in his hand, a plastic bottle. So he goes to throw it away and he pulls out the garbage bin underneath our sink, right? Now, if you pull it out, there's two garbage bins there, right? And he goes, which one's recycling? And as soon as he said it, he goes, oh, you really don't recycle, do you? I said, no, of course not. Just throw it away. And he threw it away and the world is fine. And actually the world is better off. So I'm being serious. Don't recycle anymore. By the way, that original barge full of garbage in New York City, the one that couldn't find a home, they ended up dumping it in New York City where it would have gone if it never went on the barge in the first place. Do you want to know where that dump is? Have you ever seen the U.S. Open in tennis? It's there. It's underneath the tennis stadium. They built the stadium over the garbage dump. 1-888-900-3393. Mike Slater Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. On the Blaze Radio Network. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-803-6951. Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. So I think that's a pretty sound argument as to why we shouldn't recycle. It does no good. It does bad. It hurts the environment. It costs more money. It pollutes the earth more to recycle. It doesn't make any sense why anyone does it. It's crazy. I'll simplify this. I know you get it, but just, just help people imagine this. So let's say you're recycling to save the planet. By the way, at all the science marches going on and the Earth Day marches, look at how they leave the, uh, the, the, the park that they march in. Like they really care about the planet. Anyway, if I tell you that it takes one unit of energy and pollution to make a new plastic bottle, it takes one unit, but five units of energy and pollution to recycle, which would you do? Just throw it away, make a new one. And we're not running out of raw materials. I'll do that in the next segment. I promise I want a little more time to be able to 
to spell that out. But so the question is again, really, why do we do this deeply? Like, why do we still do this thing? John Tierney is the science writer at the New York Times. He said special interest politics is one reason. Pressure from green groups. But it's also because recycling intuitively appeals to many voters. It makes people feel virtuous, especially affluent people who feel guilty about their enormous environmental footprint. It's less an ethical activity than a religious ritual. Right? Really think about that. It's less of an ethical activity than a religious ritual. It's really just for show. It's just to make people feel good about themselves. But here's the problem, and this is what John Tierney says. He says, but many recyclers want more than just freedom to practice their religion. They want to make these rituals mandatory for everyone else too, with stiff fines for sinners who don't sort properly. Seattle has become so aggressive that the city is being sued by residents who maintain that the inspectors, the government inspectors rooting through their trash are violating their constitutional right to privacy. Like, what is wrong with people where they're having, there's government officials who go through the trash making sure that you put your plastic bottle in the right bin. Like, what, 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 what are we doing? Now there's this push. This is the new thing. The push is uh, zero waste cities. A zero waste city. So de Blasio, New York City, wants New York City with what, 10 million people, whatever, 10 million people to become a zero waste city. What are you talking about? That's, that's absurd. <laughs> zero, no waste? What? what? So, in different cities, max, max 35% of things thrown away uh, can be recycled. Maximum. Usually it's like 10, 20%. 100%? There's no logic to that whatsoever. That is, that is total just nonsense made up to make people feel good. Zero waste. That's the dumbest thing ever. Now, some recycling makes sense. Let me just say, now, Recycling cardboard is the the thing that can be recycled that makes the most sense. Like that's the that's the one that's it's still not cost effective, but it's the most almost cost effective to recycle cardboard. But my wife and I we recycle all the time. Uh, we don't call it recycling; you call it repurposing, I guess. Uh, for instance, we uh, use a big pickle jar we got from Costco, and we kept it, and we pour bacon grease in it. All right, so now it's our bacon grease jar. We kept it, and we reuse it for something different that's recycling uh we have a drawer full of plastic bags right the plastic grocery bags and we use those for different things around the house right that's recycling the uh the t-shirt i'm wearing right now i wore it like a week or so ago i didn't throw it away when i wore it the first time i washed it so i can wear it again that's recycling i mean that that would be inefficient if we wore a shirt once and threw it away that's inefficient but we recycle it we wash it and we wear it again so that's good. We recycle homes. We recycle cars. They're called used cars. We recycle books, right? We give them away, sell them to other people. So we recycle every day where it makes sense. There's no government mandate that says you have to wash and rewear your clothes. It just makes sense. It makes so much sense that we voluntarily go out and buy washing machines and dryers because it's even worth it. That that's a that's a good investment is to buy a washing machine and a dryer for a thousand bucks, and and wash your clothes and go buy detergent and all that as opposed to just buying new clothes every time. So that that's recycling that's cost effective and we just do it. We don't need to be mandated and told to do it. We only need to be forced to do things that don't make sense inherently or instinctively, or at all. 
So if the only reason that people are recycling is to pat themselves on the back or to avoid guilt, don't feel guilt. Have no garbage guilt. For the rest of your life, don't ever feel guilty again. Put the plastic bottle in the regular trash. Put it in there. Piece of paper, don't put it in the blue bin. The blue bin's dead to you. Put it in the regular trash. You'll feel guilty. And also, if, if someone sees you, you'll feel shamed. You'll be shamed. But why? Don't ever again. And if you pick up your blue bin and you put it in the garbage dump itself, then you're saving your city and the taxpayers and yourself a ton of money by not having to recycle anymore. And you'll save the planet because now we don't have to spend water or energy recycling things for no reason. You're welcome. one 888 I want to come back with uh, a really, really important fact here about raw materials and how we are not running out of them. We're just not. Every generation has a doomsday prophecy of how we're running out of this, we're running out of this, we're running out of that. We're not. We're nothing. Nothing you think we're running out of, we're running out of. And we never will. I'll prove that next. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. talk about this guy for a second so paul you like we've talked about him before and this is uh, relevant for the well the whole recycling thing we we're just talking about but also the today's march for science or whatever and how scientists have often been very 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 wrong and paul Yerlich was one of those scientists who was very wrong he is the guy who started the whole overpopulation fear and he wasn't just some guy who wrote a book he was on Johnny Carson 25 times saying that the world is overpopulated and we're going to run out of everything. We're going to run out of raw materials. We're going to run out of food. Everyone's going to die. He said that in by the year 2000, this is in the seventies. He said by the year 2000, England will, everyone will in England will be extinct. Everyone will die. Everyone in England will be dead. The book was called population bomb. And this had serious ramifications. I mean, this guy, this guy went all in. Um, it led to a lot of eugenics thinking. Um, no one should have more than one child. Uh, he talked about putting stuff in the water that would make people sterile so that they couldn't have any more kids. I mean, this guy's total nut. The federal government sponsored a traveling exhibit for school kids called Population the problem is us. Roe v. Wade? Roe v. Wade? I believe, and this isn't just me, Bob, Bob Woodward said the same, um, and there's other evidence, but I believe that uh, Roe v. Wade abortion was passed by the Supreme Court because they saw abortion as a reasonable solution to population control. Ruth Bader Ginsburg said recently, that in the zeitgeist of America, just in the ethos, in the conversation of America, was the idea that there's too many people on the planet. 
So of course, abortion is an easy solution to that problem. So there are dr- really dramatic effects to this whole uh, overpopulation thing. Anyway, the point is uh, Julian Simon, free market guy, he challenged Yerlich to a $10,000 bet. And Simon said, we're not running out of raw materials. You think we're running out of stuff? We're not. And he said, all right, Paul, you choose five raw materials. Okay, so we let Yerlich, Paul Yerlich, choose the five. You choose five raw materials that you think we're running out of. Pick a date anytime in the future. And I bet you that there will be more of those materials at the date of your choosing and the price will be lower than it is today. Right? Paul, you're like, sky's falling. We're running out of stuff. Everyone's going to die. Mass famine, whole thing. And Julian Simon says, okay, pick any five raw materials. Pick the time frame. Guarantee you there'll be more of it and it'll cost less money. So you're like, said, of course, I'll take that bet. And he picked five metals, chromium, copper, nickel, tin, and tungsten. And you're like, pick the dates, 10 years. This was in 1980. So he said, all right, 1990. You're like, said 1990, uh, September 29th, 1990, those five things will be totally gone and will cost a ton of money, right? For the few that does exist. So the 10 years go by and each of those metals more prevalent than 10 years before and prices were lower. The price of copper fell 3.5% over the 10 years, and tin dropped by 72%, and everything else was in between. So how did Simon know that he was going to win that bet? Because you had all the doomsday people saying, we're running out of everything. How did Simon know he was going to win? Because Yurlik and all these other doomsday guys, they keep overlooking the most important thing. When they talk about the shortage of raw materials, they, they overlook the most important thing. They always overlook the unlimited resource of human ingenuity. When there's a shortage of something, the price of it goes up. That high price sends a signal to the producers and creates an incentive for people to go find more of that thing. It creates new technologies or people go create new technologies to find more of that raw material, to acquire more of that raw material. This is why we've shared this story many times before. Aluminum used to be more precious than even gold, right? Louis XIV, when guests would come over, great, like high, high level guests, he would give them silverware, forks and knives made of gold. But when they were the highest level guests, they were made of aluminum because aluminum was so rare, so hard to find, so hard to mine. And now everyone in America has a roll of aluminum foil in their kitchen. We made fajitas last night and we wrapped them up in aluminum foil now. It's like, whatever. Why? Because when the price went up, we figured out new ways to mine it. And now it's super prevalent. So it's with all this stuff. And then if we're running out of something, our human ingenuity comes up with another way to do that thing. So for example, copper wiring. So copper got pretty rare for a while. The price went really high. So then we came up with fiber optic cables, which uses sand, plenty of sand. So now we don't need as much of the copper. Oil is another perfect example. I just finished the Rockefeller biography about a month or so ago. And what was amazing about it is everyone thought John D Rockefeller was a nut. The guy owned a vegetable, uh, vegetable uh store right sold fruit and fruits and vegetables and everyone thought he was a total nut for investing in oil because there was no need for it 
<laughs> no, and no one was sure if there was any of it. They found some in Pennsylvania, and that's when Rockefeller got in. But all the scientists were like, ah, well, that's, you know, this is the only place where there's oil, Pennsylvania. And no one invested except for Rockefeller. And then a couple years later, they found oil in Oklahoma. And they said, oh, okay, it's only in Oklahoma. It's in, it's in Pennsylvania and Oklahoma. And then they found some in Texas. And they're like, oh, well, you know, it's only Pennsylvania, Oklahoma, Texas. And then they found some in California. Oh, it's only. And then they found some in Russia. Oh, we're running out. Running out of oil. We're gone. And we're not running out of oil. There's an article just yesterday I read about new fracking and, and shale oil found in China. There's more oil now than ever before. Everyone thinks we're running out of things. We're not. We're not. Now, I don't want to get on a whole thing about oil necessarily, but the people, the progressives, the environmentalists have made an argument for a while that we're running out of oil, peak oil. You've heard that before, right? Running out of it. They've kind of abandoned that. Have you noticed this? In the last couple of years, no one really makes the argument that we're running out of oil. They just make the argument that it's bad. So it doesn't matter how much of it we have. It's just bad. And we shouldn't use it. Even if we had an infinite supply of it, we shouldn't use it anyway. Interesting, right? Why? The progressives, they don't care that we're running out of oil, even if we were. We're not, but they don't care about that. They just want you to stop using it. Why? Because they want us to de-develop. The left's ultimate goal is to, in their words, de-develop the United States and the Western countries. De-develop. It's interesting that they're called progressives. Progress, right? And their literal goal is to de-develop the United States. Slater, that sounds, what do you mean, de-develop? I'll take a break here. I'll prove it next. In their words, why would I make that up? I'll prove it next. one 933 But just know that we're not running out of raw materials. We're not. We're not. We're never, we never will. Name something we've run out of. We'll start there. one 933 Oh, you know what? You know, they used to use, they used to use whale oil to, uh, to light homes, right? Whale oil for like candles or whatever. And uh, be, oh, Slater, we're running out of whales. No, we're running out of whales. They, that's just found used kerosene instead. And now we don't use kerosene; we use electricity, right? So we just find different ways to do things. We've never run out of anything. So why is everyone always so worried we're going to run out of things? It's crazy. Eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Mike Slater show the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater is on. Hey guys, can we play clip uh, 1463 actually right here? This is uh, this is an RFK campaign ad from 1968. He's in a classroom with a group of, I don't know, maybe, maybe third or fifth graders or so. Here it is. Robert Kennedy and some people who aren't registered this year. In 10 years, these Americans will inherit the problems we don't solve today. It's suggested that in the next several decades, 
the people are going to start having to wear gas masks in New York City because of the air is becoming so polluted. 750 pounds of refuse are, you breathe every year. And the same thing is true to a lesser degree in cities all across the United States. That will spread to the rural areas as well unless we stop it. The things that we can do about automobiles, there are laws that we can pass about uh, dumping and uh, throwing refuse in lakes and streams and into the air. Otherwise, as Secretary Gardner said, we're all going to have to live underground. Industry must do something, and then individual citizens. And then the demand, the interest that all of you might take in it. And I think that's what's going to make the difference in this country. Nebraska can make the Jeez, difference. man. You're going to start living underground? Gas mask? Good night. Scaring kids. Crazy. Same stuff today, though. Just different. I mean, diff different, but same same point. Um, so this is my point about de-developing the world. That's the whole point of the environmentalist movement is to de-develop the world, which is funny because they're progressives, right? Progress. That's what you think they stand for, but they don't. They want to go backwards. So this is the Guardian newspaper, England. The headline is, forget developing poor countries. It's time to de-develop rich countries. I told you I didn't make that term up. So I actually want to thank the person who wrote this article because they're being honest about their intentions, which is good because now we can have a real conversation about it. So they are critical of the UN uh, uh, mission about sustainable development because this person's argument is the UN's strategy for ending poverty is business as usual, growth. And the person says that the strategy of growth hasn't worked to end poverty in the last 70 years, which is patently absurd. Um, actually, this is interesting. Someone just sent me this randomly. Um, let me see if I can pose up. We're going to have time. All right, so poverty. This is, uh, this is from Oxford. The number of people in uh, extreme poverty. Extreme poverty is something like less than a dollar a day or something. So the number of people living in extreme poverty in 1820, so 200 years ago, it was 94% of people were living in extreme poverty. 1920, it was uh, 1920, 82%. So 100 years ago, 82% of the world was living in extreme poverty. 82%. Today? Hold on. Sorry. Press the wrong button. Today, it is interactive graph nine. So in a hundred years, we went from, from 82% of people living in extreme poverty to nine. And this guy's like, Oh, it's all wrong. It's all right. Growth. No, that's never worked. Anyway, his point is we need to stop trying to grow the poor countries. And instead we need to de-develop the rich ones. So instead of trying to make poor people rich, we need to make rich people poor. And then we'll all be happy. Quote, economist Peter Edward argued that instead of pushing poorer countries to catch up with rich ones, we should be thinking of ways to get rich countries to, quote, catch down to more appropriate levels of development. Blah, 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 blah. Won't go on reading any more of his nonsense, but just know that this person, when he wrote this uh, argument, was sitting in an air-conditioned apartment behind their laptop computer after they ate breakfast and know that they have lunch coming up brought to them by farmers from all over different parts of the world. I love people who live in luxury and then tell the rest of the world and the rest of us that we should then live in poverty. Right? 
you first. Did you see the guy running for parliament in England? He used to be an Olympian. I guess he's a two-time Olympian or gold medalist or something. And he, his platform is about obesity and ending obesity. And he said, you know, what are the two, pro, the two countries in the world that have the, the greatest handle on the obesity epidemic? Cuba and North Korea. It's amazing what they've been able to do to stop obesity. And the guy's like, they don't have any food there. People are starving to death. Well, yeah, you, you know, uh, uh, right. But like, that's, that's another example of how that's just, that's their utopia is that world. Unbelievable. So think about all this when you're watching the science march or whatever, and people are all, oh, I'm pro-science. Mm-hmm, pro-science, yeah. Well, environmentalists know that if they can take over the, uh, the word science and the concept of science, then more people will fall in line with their ideology just because Science, you know, it sounds, it sounds, well, are you, are you disagree with science? Like that's just supposed to shut your brain off. If someone says, well, scientists say you're just supposed to just mindlessly follow them like a lemming, even though the scientists may say one thing, but by the time it gets through that political person's brain and then out of their mouth, it's something completely different, but you're just supposed to follow whatever that person says, no matter what, no questions asked. That's what they want out of this science march. Just know that science has been wrong many, many times before and know that it is just as perverted by politics as any other aspect of our society has been too. I'll end here. Fred Siegel says, if I were to pick a point at which liberalism's extraordinary reversal began, he's talking about the reversal from positivity to negativity. He said it would be the celebration of the first Earth Day, April 1970. 20 million Americans, 2,000 college campuses, 10,000 elementary schools, largest public demonstration ever held in the United States. And this is when Senator Gaylord Nelson, the founder of Earth Day, invoked reasonable scientists to warn about the accelerating rates of air pollution that would force us to wear breathing helmets to survive outdoors. (laughs) We're fine. They're often wrong. Just do what makes sense. Slider Crusaders, we will see you next Saturday. I hope you have a great rest of your weekend. Mike Slater Show, spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.